bless you. Thank you. Hi. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love being here. We had the vision with you. We got to see this place when it was being torn up. I think you'd already taken up the floor and it was all gooky and uh -huh, concrete and the strips and they were taking out the rooms. And as we, as we walked the place and prayed together, we actually had a little bit different vision, didn't we? As a pastor was explaining to us where the pulpit was going to be up there. And we kept seeing, that's going to make these people far away and long and narrow. And somebody finally had the courage to say it. We were talking among ourselves to say, what if they turned it this way and everybody could be near? So see, I had more impact than you thought. <laughs> I am so happy, and I got to come back and see it at another stage, just being together. So this is the building. This is the outer church. But what I really love is this church, which is you people. And thank you for the privilege all along the way. And uh, it goes back a lot of years, doesn't it, darling? We were, I'm speaking to your darling. <laughs> <laughs> Years, years ago, where was that? Up in some Lauville? I was just reading about Lauville uh, yesterday or so in the biography of Mr. Nash that prayed for Finney, crying for revival. Yeah, so a lot of years. Thank you for letting me come to be with you tonight. I have a confession to make. Um, and I hope it scares you to death or to life. Everything, everything that I had that I thought I was going to speak on just kind of has gone away. And I feel as though I have to release just some prophetic things first. Just pray with me for a moment, will you? Open your hearts. Father, I thank you for the privilege of standing with these people who are the people of God, the church, the church. I was hearing all afternoon, let the church be the church. Let the church be the church. Let the church be the church. And I pray for this church that is contained within this building. And I ask you now to continue to speak to me and open the things that I believe you're sharing with me at this time of a perspective for this particular church. I bless them now and we receive the blessing of the Lord and we open our hearts. We want to hear from you and wherever you want us to go, we want to go there. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Just receive with me an excitement that the Holy Spirit put in me to see the families 
the families, the families. And I want to speak to you, some of it is word, Bible, some of it is straight prophetic as it's coming to me right now. But how God moves in families, how he loves families, that he established the family. In Ephesians, all the, all the families of the earth are named in God himself. But he loves family anointings. He loves to work in families. And I heard a word that you can take and you can do with it. But this place is like the family of Amram and Jochebed. Anybody know who they are? Who knows who they are? Who are they? Are they the parents of only Moses? And whom? And Aaron, and whom? In that order? Miriam, Aaron, Moses. But Moses is the most, is the most well-known in one sense. His name is spoken more times in the word. But here's, here's what I was sensing. That this is as the house of Amram and Jochebed producing Miriam's. Birthing Miriam's in this place. Birthing Aaron's and birthing Moses says. And those are three different aspects, three different kinds of ministry. You will also find in the story of each of them that there was a thing or a time when each of them was not perfect. Each of them got off base a little bit. Each of them, in trying to do what was right, sometimes did what was wrong or let something wrong happen. They are not a perfect company. I don't know whether they were, when they were kids, whether they were perfect. But here's what we know. They had parents who decided they wanted these children. They would keep these children. They would rescue these children from the designs of the enemy of that day who was Herod, even who put out a decree that all of those new babies and those who were under two years old would die by the sword of the soldiers. It was another kind of abortion, let's say. But there were some midwives who did not obey the commandment of the king they were delivering babies, and apparently they had been given the decree that they were to abort the babies at the time of birth. So there was everything against this new generation, but God had a plan, and he had a people, and he had parents, 
and he had midwives. He had a company who understood the value of a child, of a baby. Now we know in our day there's a great decree out against the unborn generation. We know what is happening and I don't need to speak of that to you adults and the children don't need to hear it anyway. There's a decree, but there is a call of God for a generation of parents who have what Jacobed and Amram had, that they looked upon their children and especially upon that baby Moses, the younger, the youngest, and they saw that he was a goodly child, King James English. Another place in the scripture it says they saw that he was a proper child. They saw something good in that baby that put a determination in them to preserve that baby against the decrees of that generation that would have said no to this child. But it was something between the parents and God. And what we find is they come from the Levitical line, Levi, the one that was chosen as the tribe to be joined to the Lord. They're of a Levitical line. Out of the whole 12 tribes of Israel, the Lord chose Levi. It's interesting that Levi was named, joined, not just out of a spiritual thing, that the mother Leah had was really out of frustration. She was frustrated in her marriage. Things hadn't worked out very clearly in the whole marriage thing with Jacob and Leah and Rachel. And Leah was basically the rejected one and Rachel was the accepted one. And out of her experience of rejection, with every child that was born, she was seeking another kind of relationship with her husband. And by the time she got to number four, Levi, she wanted to be joined with her husband, but through the grace of God that was worked, that child, was dedicated to God and was joined to the Lord in a special way and was set apart for the Lord's purposes. That God designed something for that child that would lead to his being the head of a whole company of people. The Levitical tribe, you get Leviticus, the book out of all the rituals and everything that the priests had to do and all of, all of the customs of ceremonial priesthood. And the Levitical tribe did not have a territory assigned to them 
that was their own in Israel. As the Lord moved through the years through the children of Amram and Jochebed, through Moses came the giving of the law. Then was the instruction that his brother was to be made the high priest to oversee all the ceremonial, the sacrificial offerings, the rituals, but also to oversee that the people were taught the law of God. They were the teachers. They were the preachers. They were the ones to teach the principles of the word of God, much of which came through Moses. So in Moses, we have the governmental leader. He was a prophetic leader, but he becomes the governmental leader who actually was removed from his own family for a long period of time. And he lived in the palace. He lived at the center of secular worldly government. And he learned all the ways of Egypt. He was educated in all the governmental ways, the cultural ways, and the educational ways. He was learned in all the ways of Egypt. But it wasn't so that he could rule on the throne of his adopted grandfather, Herod. Is that he might know what is not the government of God. That he would know this is the worldly way. This is the way the Gentiles rule. This is the way when a king is lifted up and he sets himself and he rules out of his own decree. And Egypt would from that day forward represent the ways of the world. But Moses was called out of that life, put out on the backside of a wilderness. He had tried to settle conflict between his Jewish brethren. Didn't go well. He was rejected. He was rejected on both levels. And he went far away into the backside of the wilderness until God called him. In the meantime, he had taught him real leadership. What did Moses do during those 40 years on the backside of the wilderness? How did he learn to lead? As what? As a shepherd. He learned to deal with sheep. And then God, the shepherd of Israel, asked him to lead his people and be the shepherd of Israel. And so out of this household of Amram 
and Jacobet came the governmental leader learning to lead God's people for God by the word of God in the ways of God give them the law of God have the rod of God and know the way that God would have them to go the leader the governmental leader leadership you can study it from different angles with Moses and learn how not to lead and how to lead the leader the priest the one that would be more what we would consider as priests and rabbis and ministers and pastors in formal religion was very formal. And I heard your pastor, I believe it was your pastor speaking here. How, how, do, we, how do we reach people or how do we speak to people? Not in a religious way. Why would you say such a thing? Religion. Isn't that supposed to be? Well, religion actually has to do with a, a relic of something of the past that's passed on down, but it has to do with ties, ligaments and things like that, that, that tie things together, but then they bind generations to things past. That's what it means. So what is it you don't want about religion? What was wrong with all that Levitical law? What was wrong with, with all that ceremony? What was wrong with all the customs and the costumes and the fancy robes and the counting of this and that and the measuring of this and that and everything exactly to that? What was wrong with that? Well, it wasn't that it was wrong. It was right for the time to preserve the law of God. But out of that household came Aaron, the high priest, and anyone in his line was going to be either in the priestly realm or in the, among the Levites. The Levites took care of the house of God. They cleaned it. They polished the brass. They emptied the ashes. They cleaned the altars. They trimmed the wicks. They polished everything that was gold and brass and beautiful in the temple. They kept the doors. They welcomed the people. They did, in Chronicles it said this way, they did all the work, say it with me, will you? All the, all the what? <laughs> all the what? All the work of the service, say it, of the service, of the house, say it, of the house of the Lord. All the what? Work of the 
service of the house of the Lord. That's what the Levites did to set things up for the meeting times, for the times of sacrifice, for the times of worship. They're the ones who prepared the house for what the priests would do. Um, let me just, I'm going to look this way and listen this way. Are there any Levites in this house tonight? Could the pastor speak? What do they do here? They keep the place. Do they do any work? Work of the service, serving. Ministry and service are the same. Worship and service are the same. And it's their work of service and worship to the Lord to prepare the house. So there are the priests, there are the Levites. And then there's the Miriam company. What was she? What did she do? Who was she? Well, she was a music leader and she was a prophetess and she had the giftings of music and worship, of prophesying. And as long as she prophesied what Moses had sung, everything went well. If she sang the same verse that Moses sang, you know, when they came across the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were all, you know, what happened to the Egyptians in, in, in the Red Sea. And Moses started singing a song. And Miriam picked up her tambourine, gathered the women together, started leading them. They all had their tambourines. They're dancing. They're doing a processional. And they're singing the same song that Moses sang. Now, I told you there were problems in all of their lives, so... I don't want to talk to you about what Miriam got when she got out of line, except just to tell that she started thinking a little too much of herself and Aaron, and she didn't, it was a natural thing, she didn't like her new sister-in-law. It's the truth. Moses married a woman that she didn't approve of, because she was a foreigner. And that's how the chapter starts. And so she looked at her brother Aaron one day and said, why is Moses the only one? Doesn't God speak to us also? And Aaron said, well, yeah. And they started arguing against Moses, jealous of Moses. There was a personal family problem. And that's when God came down, called a meeting, took care of things. You read the rest of the story, Numbers chapter 12. We got that one straightened out. But as long as she was singing the same song, singing in unison, singing in harmony, singing in relation to the little brother over whom she used to be the keeper. You remember when she was the keeper? When? When was she the keeper? When Moses was in the basket in the bulrushes. Who's standing up on the bank? Watching over him, making the suggestion to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to find someone to nurse this baby? I know a lady who would like to do that. 
and took him back to his mother for, yeah, we get sound effects. Perfect sound effects. Because why was the baby in the basket? How old was he when his mother put him in the basket? Three months old, thank you for your answer. And his mother had said, and his father had said, he's a proper child, and we're going to keep him, and we're going to hide him, and we're not going to let the soldiers come here and find the baby. I don't want to be too graphic on that part, but they kept him. And this is what the Bible says. Did you hear that baby right now? Did you hear? Is that the loudest that baby could cry? Bet not. I bet if he really was hungry or she really were hungry, I bet that baby could make a lot more noise, right? And the Bible says that when he was three months old, the mom and dad couldn't keep him quiet. They couldn't hide him. They couldn't hide his voice. They didn't live in the kind of setting where they could hide him. And because the baby's cry would be heard, then soldiers might come for him. And this woman got a prophetic picture. Now I'm going to move. I'm coming back to you. Because my sense was here tonight that God wants to give all the parents in this room, and I will name the future parents in this room, even you who are not married, please wait till you're married to be parents unless you already have children and they can be redeemed right into the purposes of God. But, but that God would give you prophetic vision for each of your children. For Jacobed and Amram, the story is told most specifically about Moses because he was born in the crisis time and because there was a threat against him and they had to get direction from the Lord of what to do about this child. And they hid the child, protected the child, nurtured the child, and I believe, do you, prayed over that child preserved that child through their prayers and their care and their nurturing until it was time to release the child because his cry, are you with me, could not be stopped. Tell me how he got rescued from the river. Who rescued him? Who? Uh -huh. I want, I, your voice can come. Okay, everybody said, who rescued him? What told her that there, there was a baby somewhere near? What told her that? She heard the cry. Putting him in the basket did not stop his voice. Are you with me? And nobody wanted to stifle that voice. Because that voice one day is going to be the voice of God. 
to millions of people declaring the word of the Lord. I believe that that mother, when she first held that baby and heard that first cry, I believe that it was in her. I'm getting a voice now to, to multiply his voice right now. I try not to yell at you. Let me settle down. But I believe that that mother heard that cry of that baby. And something happened in her heart that said this voice shall be heard. This voice shall not be stopped. This voice shall one day be speaking for the God of heaven. I believe that. And I believe that God can put into your heart every mother and every father in this room that you come to a place and pastors and leaders in this place that the cry of the newborn baby spiritually God can speak to you from the start. And he's going to give you some unusual new babies. They won't look like everybody else. They won't act like anybody else. They're going to have personalities that are distinct and different. And God is going to give you prophetically, because you want it, an understanding of why he has designed this person in this way, with this personality and with this voice. And there's going to be a leading and a guiding and a nurturing and a discipling and eventually a releasing, even a platform given for unusual people. Don't get too scared on that. It doesn't mean they have to be, you know, quiet anything bad, unusual, just the uniqueness of the, of the individual. And if I were to talk with mothers and fathers who are out here now, older mothers as well as younger mothers and fathers, about the different children they have, the, the difference between the children. Mothers, are your children all alike? Fathers, are they all alike? Do you have to deal with them all alike? No. So imagine in the household, seven-year-old Miriam, four-year-old Aaron, and zero-year-old Moses. What are you seeing of leadership? Miriam. Miriam, taking charge. And that worked great when she was seven, watching out for him. But when things got turned upside down when he was 80 and she was 87 and she's trying to tell him what to do and who should be with him, no, she had to back away because of the call of God upon him to be the leader. And things had to move like things have to move around in your own families. But it's up to the parents to be recognizing the difference in each one of those children. And I would say to be praying of why God made that child at that precise second of conception, which is the only half second in all of time that that child 
could have been conceived. Any other second, it would have been a different child. What is God's purpose for that child? And how are you going to raise in one household someone who's going to be governmental and lawgiver and leader at the same time you're raising someone who's going to be priestly, a teacher, a healer, a minister in ceremonial ways and a prophetess take charge, tambourine playing, dancing, leader. How do you do that all at once? You do that by being on your knees before the Lord when you have a chance, when they're sleeping, might be in the night. I had uh, one pastor's wife came to me and, and she said that she had several children, I think it was four at the time, and her husband was a pastor, and there was so much to do. that She had found out she couldn't make it unless she had her own time with the Lord, but there was no time alone, except when the baby woke up for feeding at 1.30 in the morning. And she'd get the baby to sleep, keep it there, spend her time with the Lord to get her own nurturing so she could carry on. In that household were all of the aspects of ministry needed for the wilderness church, for the church in the wilderness. A humble woman, a humble man who walked in the ways of the Lord. And this thing was gripping me that this is happening in this house. And that part of what you are developing is all those different aspects of ministry, not just for your church and not just for the present. And then I heard this, that Moses had his elders, Elijah had his Elisha, Elisha had the sons of the prophets, and so on, that leaders had those who were under them and assisting them, and they were developing them. And then came a whole new generation. All of that from Moses, all the way through to the end of the Old Testament, and the last thing in the Old Testament that is said is that I will send Elijah again. Or I will send one in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah, he died long ago. Elijah's gone. His, his disciple Elisha is gone. Those prophets that they raised up are gone. And here's a prophet named Malachi prophesying Elijah all over again. What's happening there? It's that God still works 
in same ways that he did back there, but in different ways with different generations. And God works by generations, within generations, but through generations to keep perpetuating those things that are eternal, those things that are unchanging, those things that Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, has spoken, has spoken through time, has spoken in times past, and has spoken for times future. In order for everything that God has in his heart and everything that he has spoken and proclaimed to be fulfilled, he has to have generation after generation after generation after generation. I was looking at Noah. There are two words that are spoken right within the same sentences about Noah. Names the generations of Noah. That's generation by generation by generation in his family line, before him and after him. And he speaks of the generations of Noah, which then had the three sons and the ongoing life from them, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and how they, how they went about the earth. But in the same way that it speaks of that, of the levels, fathers and sons, and fathers and sons, or sons and daughters. Then it says that Noah lived in his own generation and that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord when everything was wicked around him. And in that day, God saw violence. It's mentioned twice in that chapter that there was so much violence and there was so much wickedness and that men could only imagine evil continually and that violence filled the earth. Whoa. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in righteousness in the midst of his generations. And there the word means all the different age groups that are living at that time. Just like in some of your families, you've got great-grandmother, great-grandfather, all the way down to their great, great grandchildren. But it speaks of all of those living in that time that Noah was living, that they saw, they saw something unique and different about that family in the midst of their generations. It matters not what time it is in history. God is looking for families not just one person. Oh, he can do it with just one person. But he loves families. He loves family anointings. He loves family callings. He loves family projects like Noah and his sons, and I'm sure the ladies helped. 
building the ark and preparing for one of the most amazing, stupendous things that has ever happened in our world. The most unique thing. In fact, God said, I'll never do this again. Do what again? What did he say? Well, he'd never do what again? Flood the... He, never, he didn't say there'll never be another flood. He said he would never flood the whole world. And I was just seeing something that archaeologists... Uh, I've been hearing it and seeing different things, but that they're, they're pretty sure they have found... They found the structure of the bottom of the ark on the top of Ararat. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? How else would anybody get it up there and get it embedded on the top of that mountain if God didn't lift it up in the waters and set it there? And I know somebody has built a new ark now, but without the flood. And how God used that family in that unique time was possible because something in them said, let's obey God. Let's seek God. Let's worship God. Let's do what's right. And this is before Moses gave the law law. It's before Abraham. They heard somehow in their hearts from God and they lived in their generation and they served God in that time and out from there came all the families of the earth. For what has happened in our world right now? There aren't many old people in this room, Pastor. Where are the old ones? I'll ask the oldest ones. Have you? Is there anybody here over 70? It's fine. It's good. All right. Anybody over 60? Anybody? Are you? Have you ever seen anything in your lifetime that covered the whole world the way this virus thing stopped the whole world? Have you ever seen it? I mean, there was a world war, but it didn't touch every corner of the world. Then there's another world war. It didn't touch every corner of the world. It reached a lot of nations. I know North Africa was involved in it and all, but I... I may be the granny in the place. I have June, July. I have three months to be 80. I was born in World War time, 1940. I remember, I was a child, but I remember the announcement about the end of the war. But in all my life, I've never seen anything like this. Never. So the flood and 
on through the various things of the Old Testament. As far as I know, the Tower of Babel was the next world-affecting thing. When language was broken and people were divided up. Can you imagine standing with somebody? Come here, Pastor. You and I are having a conversation here and we're talking in the same language and and all of a sudden I start how are you going to respond? Can you imagine? It happened all over the place. World changing. Affected the whole world. People were scattered across the world. You just celebrated Pentecost. Did you celebrate it here? Do you know what Pentecost did? It undid Babel. And changed the world. It undid Babel and changed the world. With Babel, nobody could understand each other because they started speaking other languages. At Pentecost, everybody started understanding, even though they spoke a language they didn't know, the people that heard it understood the languages and God undid, undid Babel and changed the world. Why? With the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we have to live in the realization that there are yet world world-changing things that are in the book. Not all of them are happy things. I don't like the whole idea of one world government. Uh, that's just my, you may want it, I don't. I like that America is a free and independent nation. And yet when you think about it, that a handful of people, I'm talking a handful of people, assigned every person in 184 nations of the world to stay home. Close your business. Close your church. Is that not alarming? I used a gentler word. Is it not alarming? Could it be that we're entering a day that is really different? And yet, look who's living. You are. Look who's got little children. You have. Guess what God wants to do? He wants to equip you. He wants to call you. He wants to prepare you to be 
the church in the midst of the world? Is it just to have a religion? No. You better have something a little different from just a traditional religion that was passed to you and this is what we do and this is the way we do it because, okay, tell me the date today. Can you give me the date today? June 7, subtract 7 from 20. Come on, it's not hard. Ready? How many? In 13 days, do you know what is happening? At the Peace Palace in the Netherlands, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church has called a meeting for leaders of all the world religions. They've already been moving in this to sign a contract together. It's called friendship or friends, friendship across religions. And it's to get all the religions of the world to sign contracts that we will be one. They are, you can look it up. Friend, is it friendship across, friendship across religions? What I read said that they were, it was being pretty successful except for two religions. And those two religions were kind of throwing a kink in the whole thing because they have a missionary purpose. What's a missionary purpose? We're going to go tell others about our religion and we're going to try to convert people to our religion. Would you dare to guess at what two religions those are? Be careful. You should get one right to begin with. What is it? What? Christians, thank you very much. You understand Christianity. Christians, and what's the other missionary organization that believes we're right and only and we can't, no. Islam is working into all of this because there's coming a blending. And this has been prophesied and I'm hearing more about it. There's coming a blending. But the Jews are having a trouble agreeing to this. And it has to be secular Jews who's working it, and it has to be almost secular Christians to consider doing it. But this is real. This is on the calendar. We've been hearing about one world religion. So what are you doing here? What's this place for? This place is for you to raise up people who know their God, who know how to be the church that may be entering a generation.
that is different from any other generation before us. And you know the other things that are in the book of Revelation and all of that. I don't have to tell you that. But you know what happened? Between the Old Testament, the end of the book of Malachi, and the New Testament, and for, for this story, I'm going to put Luke first. If you, put the, if you put the Gospels in order, according to where they begin, you'd have to put John first, though he was the last one written. But you'd have to put John first, because tell me the first words in the book of John. What are the first words? Could I hear you louder? There, that's, that's the way I like my students to answer. All right, say it again. When? In the beginning. Then what, what comes after that? And the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made. So it's taking us back to before creation, God was, the word was. And then 14, I think, is the verse in the chapter when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And who was that? That was Jesus. So you have to take it back. John would be the first one. Mark doesn't get into it until it's time for the baptism of Jesus. So he can't, he can't be first. Matthew runs the genealogy of Jesus, but the actual story starts when the angel came to Joseph and spoke to him. But Luke, Luke begins was somebody named Zach and Liz. Do you know who they are? Zacharias and Elizabeth. Who are they? They will become, they're not at the start, they will become whom? Or who? They will become John, John's parents. But they're not at the start of the story. Who are they? They're an old couple. We don't know exactly how old. But they're past the time of childbearing. Let me just pull it together in a few minutes. But if you have your Bible, look at Luke and find them. Verse 5, chapter 1. In the days of Herod, that's set in history, set in a certain time period, and what I want you to hear in this is you are in a certain time period that is unique in history, but you are just as important and this church is just as important and pastor, your ministry is just as important as Noah's was in his day. 
as Moses was in his day, as Elijah was in his day. Why? Because this is your day. You weren't there. You're here. And I, I'd like to be here a little longer till I think about what is the world coming to? And then I think, well, you know, 80 is not a bad age to attain and let it go, though. About eight years ago, I put my head down someplace. I was someplace, put my head down on a table, asked the Lord if I could have 10 more years to travel the world. So that was only two years ago. That means eight more years if we can get back to traveling. This is the longest trip I've taken. This 45 <laughs> minutes and all these months. I've never stayed home for three months. <laughs> this is your day. You're, you're built for this hour. You're born for this time. But here, old Zach and Liz, in the days of Herod, who was the king of Judea, a certain priest, say it with me, a certain priest. You know what? God knows your name. God knows where you are. A certain pastor named Penn. A certain church in a certain place. God is sitting still in the middle of eternity while we're running around in the frenzy of time. And he's looking down and he sees every one of you. And he knows every one of your children. And I want you to just notice a couple of things that in the course of time here, a certain priest named Zechariah or Zacharias, of the course of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of whom? Ah, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both what? Righteous, where? Before God. In a, in a special way that causes God to note them. And they are walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. And they are blameless. They're beautiful. They're keeping the law as perfectly as they can. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, which meant that Zacharias was barren. And they were both well stricken in years. I heard Ann Jimenez say that meant they'd both been hit with old age. <laughs> stricken. They'd been struck with old age. Stricken by the years. Here comes another year. Wham! Oh, gam. <laughs> In the custom from the course, the course of Abijah means the family line coming down from Aaron, coming down from Amram coming down from Amram and Jochebed, who preserved their children for God. And this is generation after generation after generation. But they're walking in all the commandments of the Lord, especially those that were given through Mo and taught by Aaron and prophesied by dear sister. Miriam, but they have no child. 
It's as though they're not going to have a generation after them. And I'll just ask you a little thought quiz. Do you think they were still praying for a child? They've been well stricken in years. They're old. I don't know that they prayed lately. But because God isn't ruled by time, it came to pass. Listen to this. And it came to pass that while he, Zacharias, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the ceremonial headquarters of their religion, what was it called? The temple. Do you see religion right here? It's all by tradition. It's because his name is in the list according to his family line. The rule books say this is how you conduct prayer meeting. This is how you burn incense. This is the time you do it. It was his lot. His name was drawn. He was on duty. He's doing it according to custom. There are people at the prayer meeting. And they're waiting outside in the court. And he goes in and he offers the incense. And they expect, well, just like you're looking at your watch now. Well, this ought to end pretty soon. Because that's what religion does. Have you ever lived through a revival? It's hard in a revival to set the time to close the meetings. But they're expecting him to come right out. And what happened? In that time period, when everything had reduced to religion to ritual, to this is the way we do it. And I, I don't know if they were doing jo Jewish baptisms. There were Jewish baptisms, but I don't know if they were doing it there. God came to church one night, sent an angel, stood at the side of the altar, interrupted everything, and you tell me what came out of it. The prophetic word, well, I love this line. The angel said to Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. <laughs> he's praying for Aunt Susie out there, and he's praying, he's praying for whatever and praying whatever, and he's offering up ritualistic prayers that are in the book of prayers. And, and the angel says, your prayer has been heard. And he thinks, well, that's good. At least this wasn't in vain. And he says, you're going to have a son. <laughs> Not just you, Elizabeth, going to have a son. <laughs> Do you think he had prayed that prayer? Because it wasn't just the answer to the prayer for them to have a child. 
It was the answer to God's need to have a child, just as he had needed a Moses, and he had needed a Samuel, and he had needed an Elijah, and now he needed a JB. Talk to me about JB. Well, first of all, it caused his father to be speechless right to begin with. Because he expressed, how shall I know this? And the angel said, well, it's going to be hard to prove it to you at the moment, so this will be the sign I give you. You won't be able to speak your doubts. But you've got, to finish your, you've got to finish your ritual here. You have to finish your course. You have to stay here a few more days. And then you need to hurry on home and tell Liz. But by the time he get there, got there, he couldn't talk. And so it took all body language, and it worked. And behold, the old woman who had been hit by old age. Here's what I want you to see. You're part of a JB movement. Even the fact that for years, how many years were you in the Baptist church? The Mennonite church. All right, but you tell me, how long were you in the Mennonite church? Did they have any rituals and traditions? And then you moved into the sanctuary of a Baptist church. Do they have any traditions? Do they have any rituals? Yes, certainly. And now you've moved out. Why? Because it's a new generation and the things that were taking place in the midst of tradition, in the midst of custom. Listen to all those words. Say the word custom. Say ritual. That's what it means. Say by lot. That means it's your turn. Or in course. Say course. That means this is the order. You've got all those words, customs and lot and order and ritual and the time, the time of the evening prayer and the incense being offered. All of it has to do with traditional ritual in the house of God. The question is, was it only religion or was it maintaining the time with a mindfulness of God and some true worshipers and some who are saying, when is the promise going to come? And some looking back to all the things that had been prophesied in the Old Testament, including the last words of Malachi. Say that to me. The last words of Malachi Keep saying this now. 400 years ago. And there's no prophecy recorded. You might have studied something else out. Not that there wouldn't have been prophets. But it's as though God stopped talking and left a comma. Forty hundred years later. What are the last words in Malachi? I will send... Elijah, and the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the 
children and the hearts of the children will be turned to the... He prophesied the coming again of Elijah or of the spirit of Elijah. All right, I closed my Bible already because I know it's time. But if you read further in chapter 1, when that angel started talking to Zacharias, do you know what he said about his little boy that he just prophesied was coming? He will come in the spirit and the power of whom? Elijah. God hadn't even taken a breath. He left a comma. He picked up at the same place and said, and your boy that is coming out of time for natural life, but in time for my purposes, in this generation, your boy shall come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. And just one more thing, if I might add, the angel said, and he's going to go before. He's six months ahead. Six months ahead of the conception of Mary. Gabe was pretty busy in that season right then. He had to visit them, and then he had to find Joseph, and he had to find Mary, then he had to find Joseph, then he had to gather all the angels and get them rehearsed for nine months from now. And I mean, Gabriel was busy. He's going to appear and say, I stand in the presence of God. He said that to Zacharias. I am the strong one of God. I stand in the presence of God, and I am sent. He's the apostolic angel with a message to earth. And he said, I am sent to show you these things and to tell you these things. I call it show and tell by Gabriel. And he brings time together for the most important world-changing event in all of time. What was it? The birth of a, this isn't hard, a baby. In all of history, when God wanted to do something exceptional, dramatic, earth-changing, world-changing, culture-changing, history-changing. Here's how it began. And a woman conceived and bare a child. Jesus. And ever since then, it's been happening. And by the looks of things in this house, it's still happening. And the question is this, for what purpose has he given you the privilege of fathering with your heart turned towards your children and their hearts turned toward you? For what purpose? What are you raising? Whom are you raising? And what is the last thing 
that God has spoken to you concerning your children? Are you just praying them through the day? Or are you praying them into this generation as someone that God wants to use in the midst of his generation or her generation and your generation and your family generations, but among the families of the earth. What families across the world are going to be touched by one of these families right here who might be picked up and moved from here not knowing whither they go. It's just God saying, go, go, go. And I can tell you when he started saying to me, go, 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 I had no idea what he meant by it, except I knew he was saying, go to the world. By that time, I was very comfortable. I always thought I was going to be in Africa all the time. I expected to go directly from Houghton College. And doors were closed. The schools had been taken over by the government. And there was, the schools weren't open. There was no place. And, and God redirected me around here and there. But I didn't get to Africa for years. But now he's saying, go. And I knew that he meant go, 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 go. Leave here. But I had no idea where I would go. And you don't have all the answers. But here's what I know. And I'll close with this story. When I was a sophomore in college, I spent a day in my room by myself with my Bible, with my notebook, sealing up things in my heart that I knew that God was calling me to be a missionary. And I knew that Africa, I thought it was going to be only Africa, but I knew that Africa was it, and it's still my first love. But God asked me if I would stay in this country up to 50% of the time, and, and that he would send me to other nations. So I, I, I yielded to that. But, but Africa was the bargaining portion. And I was nailing this down with the Lord, Philippians chapter 1 that God might be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And I said to the Lord, I'm willing to die for you on the mission field. Because nobody offered his life for the mission field back in those days without being willing to die. Because every missionary film showed somebody dying or you left your baby or you buried. And, you know, it was, you, you went for, you didn't go for two weeks. You went for a lifetime. And, and so I was making all those consecrations, and I said, and I, I will die for you. He said, what if I ask you to live for me? I said, oh, never thought of that. <laughs> you already know how many years I've lived since then. I would have been 20 then. I've got 60 years now and going for more. But, but I, I was willing to lay my life down. And by the time I finished that day, this thing was so sealed in my life that I sat down and wrote it out to my parents, wrote a long letter to them, telling them what I know, and I know, and I know, and I know, and I know. And I got a letter back from my mother, and she said, well, I already know that. And afterward, besides what she wrote, I talked it out with her, and I learned 
when I was a little girl, two different times, the Lord spoke. Of course, they gave us to the Lord. I was dedicated by Ivan Spencer, the founder of Elam. What, what chance did I stand, you know? I, I was presented to the Lord through those hands with only missionary heart. And my mother told me that when I was, she didn't know exactly, maybe I was six or so, maybe. But it's the only time in her life she couldn't write, she couldn't write diaries because she had four children under the age of six. Why didn't she keep a diary? <laughs> but it was sometime around there. And there was a missionary there from Africa. She thinks that it might have been Faye Sickler or else the twin sister, May Dodds White, either one, they're the ones who gave me their love for Africa. And the children were called to sit on the front row of the church up in Depotville. It's the old stone church. My father opened the old stone church after it had been closed for 25 years when I was two years old. So we're sitting on the front row and Faye was sitting in, standing in front and telling us stories from Africa and my mother was at the big upright piano that faced the wall there on a round stool. You ever seen the swivel piano stools? And she turned around and looked and she saw me on the front row and the Lord said, for Africa. And it stunned her and she turned back around and said, what was that? And she turned back again and he said, for Africa. And she turned back again, is that you, Lord? And turned back a third time. She had never told me until I told her. And she said, oh, I know. Then she told me another time when she was interceding for Kenya and she was on her knees praying by her bed. And it was when I and my older brothers were in school, so at least six, and Joel was napping. And my mother took that time to pray. And while she was on her knees, the Lord spoke to her. He actually brought a song, an old hymn, O Zion, haste thy mission high fulfilling. There's a verse in it that says, give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. But when, when, when the song said, give of thy sons, the Lord stopped there and put a carrot in like this and wrote, daughter. And my mother wrote to me of what happened to her heart and what she said back to the Lord when she said, but Lord, I have only one daughter. I have three sons. And I say, so what? He got all three sons too. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> but the Lord was asking her for her daughter. And she described what she went through in releasing me to go to the world. She knew it all the time. Now, much, much, much later in my life, 
I told her some other things. I told her something that had just changed and something that was just decided and something. And I called her to tell her this and she said, oh, I know. And I said, mommy, you can't know that. I just got that decided. And she said, oh, I know. I said, what do you mean you know? She said, oh, I had a dream. I was just waiting for you to tell me. I said, mommy, I can never tell you anything. God always tells you first. Would every mother in the room raise your hand for me? Are you willing to? Are there only two or three? Every mother, let me see your hands. Isn't that a beautiful thing if God would talk with you? If God will tell you, if God will speak to you, if you can be a Jacobed, if God can give you a strategy for protecting your child, if God can give you a vision for every one of your children, that that child is a proper child, a goodly child, a purposeful child, a God-purposed child, a child that he gave me that I can give God and God can do something amazing with my child. Will you bow your heads and would you stand? With your children and if you're an adult mama and a mama of adults would you get with your child, no matter how old your child is, Pastor and your wife, come stand with me. There's that beautiful kind of cry. Would you be comfortable with calling the families sure. that have children to come? You, you invite them. And then, and then other couples over to the other side. Okay. Those who already have children and those who don't. You invite them. I'd like all the families to come forward. And if you're a couple, you're a married couple, <clears throat> I'd like you to come in this section over here. Those that are single, you can use this opportunity to begin praying for your family. Because there's That's no right. time, there's no space, there's no distance. <clears throat> That's right. God's put that in your heart. So you'd be praying for your family. Mm-hmm. Why don't the singles come over here and join me over on this side? <clears throat> come, come with the whole generation, moms and pops, grandmas and grandpas, come with yours. Your spouse isn't here tonight. You're still free to come. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. I'm going to turn it back to you in a moment. And I don't know whether you can filter out of anything I said tonight, anything that makes any sense to you. But there is no question here in my, in my understanding of what God is speaking tonight. That you're not just coming to church. And you're not just choosing to bring your children to church. That you're responding to God's choice. 
to call you to himself. And I hope nothing I said tonight scared you. I hope it, I hope it moves in a positive way. But I want you to bless your own children now. As I pray, I'd like you to put your children in a circle or whatever so you can lay your hands on your own children. And as you, as you do that, I'm going to ask that God gives you prophetic vision and understanding. You don't have to have a vision every day, but that God gives you an understanding of each of your child and some sense of his purpose for that child. And in the name of Jesus right now, if you can touch your children and you lay hands on one another in your family. These children have been dedicated to you. Some have been freshly baptized tonight, but in the name of Jesus, we bless this child. I bless you. Yes, I do. And you're just fussing to know the call of God on your life. I know that's so. I bless you, darling. I bless you. I bless you. And we pray the blessing of the Lord upon the families, upon the little ones, upon the parents. And we pray for the purpose of God that not one of these shall go away from the purpose of God. Not one. I pray for now the impartation of prophetic understanding, prophetic wisdom, prophetic uh, foresight, for prophetic insight in the child, that you talk to the mom and dad, but that you also give prophetic insight to the child himself. And for what that child comes to of understanding the call of God in his and her own life. I'm not trying to put a heavy on you. I'm trying to bind you to the will of God, but set you in your generation as purposeful people. And this church, whatever that means, I've never heard it before, that this church is as the house of Amram and Jochebed with all of those different gifts and ministries being developed in that family. And that means that God has to anoint you as Amram and your wife as Jochebed, is that right? To be able to, to give the leadership to this to develop all of those ministries. All right, I'm going to bring the singles up to be with me now. And pastor's going to take these people over here.